Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today I'm going to talk about where the Library of Alexandria went. Ooh. Because it's a subject I think a lot of people are taught a very tiny amount about in the Western world of how it was a big library. It was the best library ever. And then it burnt down and then the end. And everything was lost and it was it's gone forever. And turns out our understanding of that history mystery is not entirely accurate. No surprise. I'm sh- you are you look staggered. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go over what the Library of Alexandria was and then where it went. Alexandria was founded by Alexander the Great and he handed it over to Ptolemy I Soter. This, it was founded in Egypt. So it is an Egyptian city founded by a Macedonian and then handed over to another Macedonian, basically. Oh, okay. Now, some sources credit Ptolemy I Soter with founding the Library of Alexandria. However, there's also Demetrius of Phalarium, who was an Athenian on the run, who was a scholar and he had been chased out of Athens. And... He rolled into Alexandria and apparently had the idea of the library. So Ptolemy I Soter is given a lot of credit for founding it, but Demetrius of Phalarium probably, or Phalarium, sorry, I hand wrote this, so it's one or the other. He probably had the idea, and Ptolemy II Philadelphus is probably the one that built it. There are so many names flying around, and they're so long, I'm just like, I'm trying to, okay. No, it's it's absurd. It's... (laughs) I'm I'm using their full titles to point out how ridiculous this is. <laughs> that one guy is given credit. His successor is probably the one that built it, but it was also another guy's idea, but he probably died before the library was built. Oh, okay. All right. So this was a project. It was founded most likely around 283 BC, and it was called a museum, also known as the Seat of Muses. It may have held up to 500,000 documents, mostly scrolls, had at least 100 scholars at its height working full time there. So their meals were served there. They were paid. They did not have to worry about laundry or finding a place to live or any of that. They were there to work. It had most likely had a zoo. It definitely had gardens. It had shrines to all nine muses and it had lecture halls. Holy cow. Yeah. So it was, uh, I, I read somewhere that a lot of modern universities use the sort of structure that the Library of Alexandria has had written about it as something of a model. Okay. Now, I said written about it. There's very little archaeological evidence of what this library looked like or where it was. There's a huge amount of documentation about it, though. So it's not one of those things like Atlantis where it's like, "Mm, maybe it was never (laughs) a thing. Please don't come for me, Atlantean believers. I'm I'm not trying to (laughs) cast doubt. I'm just discussing archaeological evidence and scholastic evidence. So sort of well-known 
destruction stories. There are several. These are all sort of taught and then held as the destruction story. So listen to my stories and then I'll clarify. (laughs) (laughs) So Julius Caesar burnt it down in 48 BC. That's the one I've always heard. Mm -hmm. When he was boxed into the Alexandrian Harbor by an Egyptian fleet. Or the daughter library, the temple of Serapis? Serapis. Mm -hmm. Serapis. Serapis. I thought so. Was changed to a Christian church in 391 AD. Note, that's well over 400 years after Julius Caesar burnt down the Library of Alexandria. So the daughter library of the Library of Alexandria, and these were built around the same time and were held as sort of the same institution. So that was converted to a church, and the documents were removed, destroyed, sold, given away. And then it may have actually been burnt down by Christians in revenge for the killing of a monk. The head librarian, Theon, and his daughter, Hypatia, or Hypatia? I've heard both. Okay. Then I will say both. Was killed in this process. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty famous story, but that was in the Temple of Serapis. Or, (laughs) Or the Muslim Caliph Omar in 640 A.D., I'd like you to note this is another 240 years later. Captured Alexandria. This is a known historic fact. And it was stated that the scrolls in the library were used as tinder to burn all the bathhouses. No. And that took six months. However, that's how many scrolls there were. Holy cow. However, this event was only documented 300 years later by a bishop who hated Muslims. Oh. So, Islamophobia. I'm just going to say that that's probably not what <laughs> So probably all of these things had a hand in some destruction of Alexandria and the museum and the Temple of Serapis. But all of these things are also in written history, written usually by the victors or conquerors or people who had an axe to grind. It was more likely, and there's more evidence for a long decline not a sudden burning or a, a protracted destruction of... I don't, how many bathhouses would you have to have to take six months to burn them? I mean, there's probably a lot of bathhouses. It was popular. I agree, but I feel like it would only take maybe a month. Yeah, I mean, unless you're being real slow about it and taking a lot of breaks and having doing, parties. Do, doing them one at a time? If you did them one at a time. Yeah. Okay. That's probably... <laughs> In this fantasy story that never happened, that's probably how it worked. (laughs) So, budget cuts. If any librarians listen, now or in the future, to this episode, you're, I am sure, familiar with budget cuts toward libraries. (laughs) There were also several events involving the expelling of foreign scholars from Alexandria. Let's go way, way back. We went to 48 BC. And that's when Julius Caesar apparently destroyed everything and woe betide all of us for the loss Mm -hmm. except he probably didn't it was probably he probably destroyed a warehouse that had scrolls in it that were property of the library but it was not the library and not all of it because there's a huge amount of evidence of scholars working in the library doing work they could only do if they had access to the information that was held there or in the temple of serapis after 48 BC. Interesting. So Ptolemy the Eighth, Viscon, 
Why not? I it it sounds silly, but that's how it's pronounced. P H Y S C O N. He expelled foreign scholars from Alexandria. Now these scholars had hands and arms and backpacks. Probably took a took a few things with them when they got shoved out of town. And they took with them the Alexandrian structure of research and writing. And they founded their own institutions and started working in other institutions that had already been founded as well. Oh, uh, keynote, the Library of Alexandria was not the first library. It is sometimes credited as that. It was where the first library catalog was likely developed. Oh, okay. And it was where, say, like Aristophanes, the one who determined the circumference of the earth. Right. He worked there when he in. When he was working there, that's when he determined that. So there was a lot of information coming out of here and structure for future research and future future mathematical pursuits, etc. So after those scholars were expelled, scholastic rigor sort of fell off. The head librarian position became more of a reward than an actual job. So a political reward if you were a buddy of, say... Whoever was running Alexandria at the time. There was also a fairly narrow scholarship focus at this museum, particularly of Greek classics. And so over time, they ran out of material to produce discussing Greek classics and translating them and transcribing them. And so they would start writing about the people that had already written about them Mm. or rewriting things or etc. So it was sort of a tapering of the museum's intended purpose at the time. And I'm using museum and library interchangeably. Sorry. The library members eventually, after the Roman takeover of Alexandria and Egypt in general, didn't even have to live or work in Alexandria. So they could be members of the Library of Alexandria, so like the scholars working there. But they didn't actually have to live there or work there. So it was kind of a an emeritus position almost at that point. Oh, interesting. They were doing the work or like a board position. Mm, Okay. In that you don't have to be physically present, but it's not like they could Skype in. (laughs) We don't think so, unless that went down with the Atlantis. That is possible. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't make claims. I can't back up. (laughs) The Atlanteans may have facilitated the communication. You're right. (laughs) With crystals. Mm Mm-hmm. So, oh, and then eventually in around 272 AD, Aurelian destroyed a portion of the city that held the library. And if he didn't destroy the library itself, Diocletian took care of that in 297 AD. So there were several invasions of Alexandria that resulted in destruction of the component of Alexandria that held the library. So it was definitely gone by 297 AD. Okay. Now, one thing to note is it was definitely gone by 297 AD. And the Caliph Omar, the Muslim man, uh, took over Alexandria in 640 AD. Mm -hmm. So unless he was also a time traveler, he did not destroy the Library of Alexandria. Yeah, I I got that impression from what you were Yeah, I just like to be clear. I think that historians sometimes, if they have an axe to grind, give certain groups of people uh, the short end of the stick. I'll say that. Okay. And then the Theon and Hypatia, Hypatia story is more related to the building and the area 
where the library and the temple of Serapis used to be. Okay. Verse, and then the politics of the time than actually li- library holdings and librarians. So sometimes Theon or Hypatia, I like Hypatia better, are said to be the last librarians of the Library of Alexandria. But that's not accurate, especially because they didn't even work there. They worked at the Temple of Serapis. <laughs> so, which was a component. It was sort of a side branch of the Library of Alexandria, but it wasn't the actual library itself. And they weren't librarians. They were teachers. They had founded schools. And so, and they were well-respected teachers and scholars, both by, you know, the people in charge and by the citizens of Alexandria. But they were not librarians. They were physically associated with the Temple of Serapis. And it was burnt down. And Hypatia was probably killed in the process. But it had very little to do with librarian holdings or librarians. So... Where did the Library of Alexandria go? Parts of it got burnt down various and sundry times. Most of the writings that were held there were probably over time sent to other institutions. I'm sure some of them were destroyed. Even, you know, even today, some libraries destroy things that are damaged or totally out of date or totally incorrect. So, you know, it's not like a library never gets rid of anything there isn't a massive archive of like books people spilled coffee on. <laughs> they just get a new one or try to copy what they can and get rid of the one that's covered in coffee. And then the scholars that worked there spread the sort of scholastic activities throughout Eastern and Western. Uh, they went, they mostly went, I almost said Europe, cripes. This is in Africa. They did go, some did go back to Greece mm-hmm. and some did go to the Middle East, but some stayed in Africa. So it's it just got spread. It was a diaspora. That's the right word. Now, in 2002, in Alexandria, the Bibliotheca Alexandria. Oh, Alexandrina. Sorry. Bibliotheca Alexandrina was founded. It's a research library and cultural center to commemorate the original building. So there is... Now, a library of Alexandria called the Biblioteca Alexandrina. Interesting. That's Spanish. Biblioteca Alexandrina? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't don't know why it's spelled that way, but... That's cool. Yeah. So that's where the Library of Alexandria went. Cool. It didn't just burn down. I had always heard this story of... Julius Caesar, a seizure, Julius (laughs) Julius Caesar changed over. (laughs) He became Christian. Converted. Converted. Thank you. He converted to Christianity and then got a wild hair up his butt and decided to burn it down. (laughs) That's, That's the story I always got. This reminds me of like the pinch of salt over your shoulder. Yeah. Where it's just totally, everyone's got kind of a story about it. Yeah. Totally unrelated yeah. to reality. What actually happened. <laughs> like, I just had always imagined Julius Caesar, like, converting and deciding that's what he needed to do. And he just pitchforked. He just pitchforks and, like, in flames and just burned the entire thing down himself. I don't know. That's what I always imagined it. But apparently that's not what happened. Well, and that's part of why I started looking into yeah. it, because I was like, that's so sad. Was any of it saved? And it's like, yes, it absolutely was. <laughs> well, I, I had always heard it as in like, it's so sad, and we would be 300 years more advanced if 
if Julius Caesar hadn't got that wild hair up his butt and burned down the entire library, that jerk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we would be in flying cars right now. <laughs> we would be the Jetsons. <laughs> we would be in our little <laughs> cars. My daughter would have a little uh, recorder shaped like lips as her diary. <laughs> We have robot maids. Wait, we have robot maids. Yeah, I was like, I do have a robot exactly. maid. <laughs> but she only sucks up junk on the floor. She's not really good for anything else. No. Why is she a she? That's messed up. What, Rosie the robot? Why is my robot a she? Hmm. That's very gendered. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I thought of our little vacuum robot as a he, so. Oh, okay. okay. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, it does help. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk about unclaimed mail. So what is unclaimed mail technically? So unclaimed mail is mail that there's no valid recipients, um, no valid address, no return address to give it back to the person since there's no address it needs to go to. It has an insufficient postage. The recipient won't accept it. I don't know. I guess. No, I don't want it. You can just be like to the mailman. I don't want it. You can do return to sender. Yeah. The recipient won't pick up. And we have this every once in a while when we ship stuff to people. It'll come back to us and it would it will say something like they just didn't pick it up. They were notified at their post office and they just didn't pick it up for like a month. Um, it's returned to sender, and the sender's gone. We don't know where the sender went. And <laughs> <laughs> or it's undeliverable for whatever reason. So the term is dead mail. And interestingly, since there's been mail, they've had a plan for dead mail since the late 1700s. Wow. They made the office of the inspector of dead letters. Isn't that an awesome position? I want that job. I'm the inspector of dead letters. <laughs> Mwahaha. And then later in 1825, the dead letters office was established because of the sheer amount of dead letters. These are the letters that couldn't be delivered for whatever reason. There's no recipient. They were killed by horses. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And unfortunately, they renamed it because it, apparently the dead letters office was too cool for a, a title. So they renamed it the Mail Recovery Center, which I get. But anyway, so what does the Mail Recovery Center do? So the Mail Recovery Center only really takes stuff that seems to be of sentimental value or is $25 of value or over. And they, each mail recovery clerk will physically open the letters or packages and discern what they contain. And this makes them the only people in the United States that can legally open other people's mail. So as they get the mail, they will sort through it and determine what kind of value it has. So if it's, you know... $25 or more, they'll figure that out. And then they'll painstakingly go through the contents to figure out if they can find any kind of identifying characteristics in the letter so that it can get back to where it's supposed to go. 
Wow. Yeah. I had no idea that they even did this. So they, it, it's like 68% of the dead male they can actually find identifying characteristics and get it back to where it's supposed to go. Cool. Yeah. So there are a few interesting stories. One of them was pretty touching, and I read this a few different places. This lady, um, her daughter, her newborn daughter died of SIDS, and she sent off all these letters with pictures of her daughter, newborn pictures, and it was the actually only surviving picture that she had. She called the dead letters office and, I'm sorry, the mail recovery center, and they actually went through and found the only picture left of her daughter oh. for her and sent it back to her. Yeah. So after, after every avenue is is up, so they try, I think it was like a year or so, they try to find the, the recipient or someone that was attached to this letter so they can return it. And if they can't figure it out, they will um, put it up for auction, they will recycle it, they dispose of it, or they donate it to charity. 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 <laughs> So you can go to United States Postal Service auctions um, at governmentgovdeals.com. And I went through there and I browsed. It's a lot of books. Huh. Which is no surprise to me whatsoever because media mail gets lost all the time. That's good to know. Yeah. So I don't ship stuff media mail anymore Mm -hmm. because about three out of five times it gets lost. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of books. So if you're looking for books, electronics, laptops, or other random weird stuff, um, the gov, govdeals.com has a United States Postal Service stuff that they put up for auction. They take all the correspondence out, so you're not going to get somebody's correspondence to their grandson or something. Dear Tyler, here's your new laptop. <laughs> Love, Grandma. You're not going to get that. <laughs> Poor Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's where it goes. That's where undeliverable, unclaimed mail goes. So the mail delivery, mail recovery center, not the dead letters office. I really think they should bring that back. I wish they would. It's, It's the dead letter office in spirit. It's the dead letter office. It goes there. They try to find its home. If they can't find its home, then it either goes up for auction or they recycle or donate it. Where is this office? Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. And you can actually go there, apparently, and peruse all the stuff they have. Another field trip. Yeah. So you have to make an appointment from what I was seeing. Huh. Makes sense in that they probably don't want to have to pay some shopkeep. I think that it's kind of high security. Oh, probably. Yeah. I guess the mail, the mail recovery center slash dead letters office is very high security because you have to be vetted because you're going through other people's mail, basically. Yeah. You don't want some, you know, schmo like one of us. Walking in and committing a felony by opening somebody's letter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's really cool. I'm going to that website. I know. Right after G-O-V-deals.com. we finish. Yeah. Go, go there. Get you some lots of books or several hundred lots of books. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the the website itself, since I actually do a lot with an auction website, um, it's not the prettiest website I've ever seen, but they do have the contract with the USPS, and it seems to be relatively well organized. So yeah, go go check it out. Cool. Yeah. I will. I'm going to, again. Our listeners should, too. <laughs> and I believe you have a reuse project. Yeah, so we were looking for reuse projects beforehand, and Emily had posted to our Pinterest board that reusing, um, what are they? The, the little, little silicone silica. gel packs. Mm-hmm. You know, that you get in your shoes and your whatever. Your roasted seaweed. Your roasted seaweed. <laughs> And I've been disposing of them, and it says not to eat, so I'm just like, well, not edible. Throw it away. But anyway. (laughs) As you should. (laughs) But you should reuse them. You You can collect them, and if you drop your cell phone in the bathtub, apparently you can dry out your cell phone. You can... Keep them in your shoes. You can do all kinds of stuff with them to dry stuff out, pretty much. Yeah, preventing rust, which is an oxidative reaction. If you go listen to our episode about fire, you can learn about <laughs> oxidative reactions. Uh, you know, preventing rust by removing the water source. Helpful for metals. Yeah. They suggested it with shaving razors, too, but honestly... If you're I don't understand that. Oh, is it for the rust? Yeah, but if you're keeping the razor around long enough for it to rust... You should have a tetanus shot, by the way. It's not the worst idea to just get a new cartridge. Ugh. <laughs> don't use rusty blades. Really for anything. No. Nothing on your skin. No. Maybe we could find a reuse project for rusty blades. You can scrap them. There you go. 